Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. Hello and welcome to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast. I'm your host this week, Steve Weissman, and thank you for joining me on this inaugural episode. Every week, we'll be bringing you the best of TC Live from your television and smart devices directly to your ears. This was an awesome week to kick off 2020 with my friends Chanda Rubin, Paul Anacone, Lindsey Davenport, Nico Pereira, and Jan Michael Gamble on TC Live. And we start this debut episode talking about a debut event, the ATP Cup. 24 countries split into six groups with national pride and ATP ranking points on the line. But the format is a sensitive subject to some as only two single spots are available per country. Now, that limits the number of players that can see their ranking benefit as a result of this tournament. One notable critic has been Riley Opelka, who's ranked 36 in the world, but third in the United States. Here's our crew discussing the big man's gripe on TC Live. You've been uh, talking to Riley uh, as well as Taylor, of course. Uh, does he have a point? Is he right? What do you think? No, he does. I mean, he definitely does. I think one of the things to realize whenever you start a new event and a situation like this, there's going to be a lot of things to work out. And I think this is one of the things that will be talked about. This this has been going on for a while. Riley started this conversation back in October. Um, he's got a very valid point about, look, for the folks at home, the players get ranked on their best 18 events. And so what he's saying is the people that get chosen for this get a 19th for free. So that's not equitable. It's not fair for the other players, in particular, like someone like Riley, who's ranked 37 in the world. He's getting penalized because he lives in the United States. And at 37, he's not going to make the team in play. Yet there are players in there that are 800, 700, 600. But because of where they were born, they get the opportunity for points that he and many others cannot get. So it is inequitable. There's a balance that needs to be figured out. And it's one of the things that happen with a new event. There's a lot of things that are going to be discussed. And that's what you do at an event like this. You play the first year, you circle back, and you figure out what to do to make it better. Now, could this event go, go on without those points to get those top players in? Well, that's the question, and you, you figure that's why it was instituted, that particular rule, to get those top players to play, to give them some incentive um, with that 19th event and, and also, you know, with the points and, and with the money as well. And so, you know, he, I think Riley does have a good point. What the solution is, that will certainly maybe need to be worked out if they look at making some changes next year um, to the event, but it isn't quite fair for all those players, especially the players in his range. It's not fair across the board. Yeah, and it's the players in his range that are ranked in countries like Spain or France that don't get to play and don't get that free tournament to build their ranking. There's been a lot of research done, and I think some of the folks uh, that did that research was saying that basically that extra tournament, that added tournament, on average will come out to somewhere around, around 11 ranking points, which isn't huge. But even Riley, when I talked to him 
yesterday. He said it's not really so much the actual context of that. It's what the perception is and the fact that there isn't a balance. There isn't equal opportunity, which is exactly how the tour has things set up so that everyone has the same chance to play and achieve a high status. So look, a lot to discuss, a lot more to work on, but let's not forget about the great tennis that's going on. It's been a great event. It's very complicated. And let's also not forget there's something going on a little more serious in tennis down in Australia right now. Yeah. The fires that the players are contributing to to try to make things better. So a lot happening. Tennis is tennis. The folks that are doing this, the powers that be, will circle back and things will get better. But it's not fair. We, we, consensus here is that this is not fair. Yes. It's not equal. It's not equal, no. It's not equal to everybody, okay. 100%. So, so you would, both of you would change this going forward? Yes. Yeah, and you'll have the answer to what that should be in the next 90 seconds. <laughs> well, we talked earlier, and it, and it was the fact that other team events don't have points. Right. Labor Cup doesn't have points. Sure. Davis Cup doesn't have points. Fed Cup doesn't have points. Gives you more, it gives you more latitude, but at the beginning of the year, very difficult to have an event with no points, particularly when the calendar's set up. Historically, where there's been some great events at the beginning of the year, and some of them are no longer there because of this event. Look, there's a lot of politics that are going on. There's a lot of pri uh, proprietary involvement with people that are doing things, and uh, it's just growing pains. But I love the team concept and a lot more good to come. Love the team concept. Also love the fact that Riley Opelka is speaking out. Yep. Speak your truth and, and, and say it like it is, and he needs more people like that to get behind him, perhaps, to, to change things going forward. The ATP Cup has been a hit to the fans and players alike with outstanding effort and high-quality tennis being played throughout the tournament. There were, however, two notable moments of players going too far with their emotions. Stefano Tsitsipas of Greece lost a thrilling three-set match to Australian Nick Kyrgios, with each set going to a tiebreak. But that's not what got everyone's attention. After losing the first set, Tsitsipas started destroying his racket. His father, also serving as Team Greece's captain for the event, got bruised as a result of racket debris flying everywhere. Even Stefanos' mom got into the mix, urging her son to stop his outburst. And if that wasn't enough, Russian Daniil Medvedev lost his cool in a quarterfinal singles match against Argentine Diego Schwartzman. Medvedev won in three tenth sets, but almost didn't make it to the finish line after taking several whacks at the umpire's chair. There's no shortage of chaos in the ATP Cup, and our TC crew breaks it all down here. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. This is a guy, it's top 10 player, who's coming off winning the Nito ATP Finals, supposed to be the next guy, right? But acting up like that, you can't tolerate that. That's an inexcusable. I mean, it's probably lucky that it was his father because that's a side family conversation and, you know, they've got to deal with that. Uh, had that been sort of someone else, an outsider, you, you know, it just would have been even worse. Never good when you see a player act like that and, and show that kind of negative emotion that can actually be dangerous. Mm. And so, you know, that's really what we're talking about. But to Sitsipas's credit, somehow it helped him sort of refocus, I guess. I mean, he continued to play great tennis. He made that an incredible match. You just hope the, that negative emotion doesn't continue to sort of, you know, boil over in these yeah, types of know, situations. Somebody, he's one of those guys, he's high strung. He plays at a high, high intensity on the court at all times. So he's got to get some of that out. That's fine. Go break a racket, do your thing. But 
not around someone else. You know, this goes back to Nalbanian at Queens, you know, kicking the, the chair or kicking the box and, and injuring that, that you know, linesman. It, it was his dad. If it wasn't his dad, I mean, that's a whole different scenario. Now we're talking about, okay, where does this go? Is this, is this a suspension? What, and we're in a way different, you know, zone. So it's unfortunate. Hopefully he learns from it. You know, go break the racket in the corner, do something else, but not, not there, not like that. Yeah, you want to be Federer, you want to be Nadal, act like it. And he certainly didn't, and Nick Kyrgios got the victory there. Nico, what did you make of that whole Medvedev, Moleani, Diego Schwartzman brouhaha? Well, Medvedev is the edgiest one of all the next-gen players, and I feel that that's why he's the highest ranked. <laughs> you know, he doesn't care, and he's very passionate. In the heat of the battle, you know, those things can happen. But hitting the chair, he should have gotten the warning after the first hit. He didn't. He only got the warning after the second hit. And he was very, very close to the edge there. And he likes to live close to the edge. And Schwarzman will not back down for anybody. He just told him, hey, listen, you're wrong. You shouldn't <laughs> be doing that, and, and moved on. But as you mentioned, the handshake, they patched it out at the end. You know, two good warriors going at it, and that's that. Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, that secures Medvedev the fourth seed for the Australian Open, getting all these wins, and he's setting himself up for a lot of success this year. He's just got to keep it together mentally in getting through some of these long matches and not let these outside distractions bother him. He uses it for fuel most of the time. He just has to make sure it doesn't become a regular occurrence. Yeah, that's a good point. We saw at the U.S. Open, he, he used yeah. that crowd. He, <laughs> you know, he, he was the anti-hero throughout that tournament. Got him all the way to the final very close against Rafa Nadal. Australian Ash Barty took the tennis world by storm in 2019, beginning the year ranked 15th and ascending to year-end number one. Along the way, Barty won her first premier event in Miami, her first major at Roland Garros, and the richest prize in tennis history at the WTA Finals in Shenzhen. Our Prakash Armitage spoke with Barty before she began her season in Brisbane, followed by a good discussion on TC Live about what to expect from the Aussie in 2020. With the most popular woman in the building right now, Ash, how does it feel to be here in Brisbane? Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. I mean, this is this is my backyard. This is where I train. I have all these people coming in, um, taking up my space a little bit. But no, it's it's nice to be kind of flicking past uh, the training and getting into the tournament mode. And it's really nice to be able to start here in Brisbane. Well, I've been talking to a lot of the drivers and fans around here, and they're all so inspired by you. Does that give you a little bit of pressure or kind of spur you on a little bit? No pressure, no pressure whatsoever. I think for me, it's about really enjoying this time of the year. Uh, obviously, as a Grand Slam nation, we're, we're very lucky to be able to to get the support that we do, um, especially here in Australia. The first month of the year, it's really special to be able to start start the year at home, but, you know, to be able to spend that extra... A lot of the time, even if it's an extra week, not having to worry about travelling in your own bed, uh, those little things. So I think uh, the amount of travel that we do, it's certainly nice to, to have one on our side this time. Said that she wants to soak it in, soak in all that, that, that Aussie support as opposed to it being more of a burden. How do you do that? Well, I, I think she's saying all the right things and she's approaching it in the best way that she can. And that is to say there's no pressure. It's all positive. I'm going to go out there and be relaxed, try to use the crowd uh, to her advantage. And, and so I think that's, you know, initially it starts with your mindset. And so that's great to hear from her. It's going to be tough. There's going to be that additional pressure. We saw it a bit in Fed Cup um, at the end of 2019 where the pressure kind of got to her. You saw how much it would have meant for her and for the Aussie team to win, to get the Fed Cup uh, back home. So I think 
having dealt with that, the pressure and those nerves in Fed Cup that could actually help her sort of relax a little bit more uh, in the first major of the year. And certainly these initial matches will go a long way as well. Uh, she's been in a tough situation since she got to number one. The pressure gets to her. We know it. She played Serena when Serena came back, won the first set. And then went out when Serena really had no chance on the clay in Roland Garros the year before she won. So, so I've been watching her. I love it. I think she's a great number one. She's a great ambassador for a game. I, I love Australians as sportsmen. <laughs> I just love them. I think they have, you know, the right attitude, the, the go-get-it attitude, and she certainly does it. She demonstrated it on the cricket field, then she came back to the tennis, and she did it again, and it is a good situation. Like you said, the experience of Fed Cup, where she got a little nervous and didn't deliver, is going to use her, you know, it's going to do her well for the OC Open. Nobody captivated the tennis world more than Coco Golf last season. The 15-year-old's run to the round of 16 at Wimbledon transcended the sport, and she followed that up with a drama-filled third-round run at the U.S. Open. After taking her first career title in Linz, Austria, to close out the year, the sky truly is the limit for Coco in 2020 and beyond. We dive into what the future may hold this year for the teenager on TC Live. I asked Chanda the other day what she thought that Coco would finish at the end of the year. Comes into this year, top 70, right inside the top 70 of the world. Where does she finish at the end of this year? Well, that's a tricky one, Steve, you know, because obviously she's going to turn 16 yep. during Indian Wells, which helps her because she will be able to play 16 events which is completely different to the situation she was in this year. She handled the pressure very well. We were talking off camera with Chanda about her tennis level, which to me is the key. We know she can handle herself inside the court and outside the court. I love her demeanor. She's unbelievable. She's great for tennis, Coco. We love you, but I think she still has a lot to grow. So I think it, it, it is not unrealistic for her to you know, challenge the top 20 this year. Top 20? So yeah. He didn't even, I don't even what know if you watched the show. What did he top say? 20. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> no, here. Team chemistry. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And, and a performance like that in windy conditions for a 15-year-old, I don't know, I was really impressed. I was impressed. I mean, you saw the slices, the changes of pace she threw in, understanding her positioning in the court and what correct shot to hit. It's a lot to like about Coco Golf's game. Tons of great tennis on tap this weekend, including the semifinals and final of the inaugural ATP Cup. World number one Rafael Nadal leads a battle-tested Team Spain into a showdown with the host nation Australia. They survived Great Britain in the quarters by the narrowest of margins. Nick Kyrgios, Alex de Menor, and thousands of Aussies will be ready for the star-studded Spaniards in this titanic semifinal matchup. Meantime, Russia, behind the rackets of Daniil Medvedev and Karin Hatchinov, come into the semis with tons of confidence and momentum. They'll need it to knock off Serbia, led by 16-time Grand Slam champ Novak Djokovic, and they have had enormous crowd support down under. This best-of-three format should provide high-stakes drama from the start and will include a heavyweight singles tie between Medvedev and Djokovic, who's looking to stop a two-match losing streak to the Russian. And don't forget about the ladies this weekend. Auckland and Brisbane are both down to the Final Four with the WTA kicking off 2020 in style. How about Serena Williams, back and ready to reclaim her throne at the top of the women's game. But she'll have her hands full in an Auckland semifinal against rising American star Amanda Anasimova. Whoever wins that one will face the winner of a match between 25-year-old Buffalo native Jesse Pagula and Caroline Wozniacki. 
In the final weeks of her illustrious tennis career, she is set to retire after this year's Australian Open. Plus, get this, Wozniacki and Serena are in the doubles final together, but they could face each other in the singles final. And there's no shortage of star power in Brisbane. How about this semifinal lineup? Petra Kvitova against Madison Keys and Naomi Osaka battling Karolina Pliskova. It looks like the final weekend of a major, not just the first tournament of the season. Plus, we've got action in Shenzhen as two Russians are in the final there.